0: Two of a different page. I am joined by someone I really admire, the wonderful Tamika Wilder. Welcome, Tamika. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so glad to have you here. Um, so, just a little bit about Tamika for those of you who don't know her. Tamika, otherwise known as the Orgasmic Mama, is a somatic sex coach and multi qualified therapist, and now the author of Wild Honey. So, I'm so excited to ask you quite a few questions today, but just a heads up for some listeners. At some point, um, Tamika, I'd love to ask you touch on a little bit about sexual trauma and how it connects with eroticism. If that's okay with you, Tamika, a little bit yeah, on that topic. Definitely. Yeah. Great. So I just wanted to um, tell the listeners that that will come up gently today as a, as a bit of a theme. Um. So yeah. Um. So Tamika, would you like to give us a little bit of an overview about Wild Honey and what it's about?
1: Oh, sure, absolutely. Um. So. I'll read a little bit just on the back here. It's in front of me. Wild Honey is about living a life in such a way that it feels impossible to hide. It's about allowing the full spectrum of your humanness to shine and thrive and riding the waves of uncertainty and being truly awake for the ride. Mm -hmm. So really what that means for me is Wild Honey is a way of life. It's about not seeking to shrink your life because things feel difficult or uncertain Mm. or unsafe not sinking not seeking to hide yourself and your truths um and really it's like this constant i don't want to say constant pushing of your comfort zone but it is kind of riding the edges of of comfort for something Mm. greater something grander something shining bright and um sexuality and the work that i do as a sexologist really is a An amazing portal for that expansive life um Mm. opportunity
0: Mm, so true and I like what you said about your humanness shining Mm. through that's what I felt like when I was reading this was about humanity is our our erotic human nature yeah
1: yeah Mm. yeah and I think sometimes that gets a bit it's kind of um to be assumed it's like well of course I'm a human and so you know I'm I don't want bad things to happen to other people my humanity is well intact and I think we forget to apply that to ourselves like Mm -hmm. go gentle on yourself go easy on yourself and wake up keep going (laughs) keep thriving keep expanding lifting the lid on on things about you and your psyche and um I'm obsessed with that kind of thing
0: Mm, and expansion too. And expansion can be really hard when it's not everyone else's story at the same mm-hmm. time.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's so true. Well, I absolutely love that. It's, it's such a great summary of it. Um, and so I've got a couple of questions I've got to th- flow into. I've got lots yeah. of curiosities here. Um, so in your work, you've mentioned that when we first enter life and we're kids, we're really great at embracing our eroticism. Um, can you explain why that is and why kids are so good at that? Sure.
1: So eroticism, if you take it away from it being inherently sexual, so genitally focused or pleasure Mm. focused in terms of um, penetrative sex or genitals, as I said, um, you just kind of strip it back to eros, which is this, which is life and life force and the, Mm. the force of creation that we were all kind of born from, right? That we were created from and born from. And children have really innocent connection to their their eros the life that is coursing through their body and you see it when they they wiggle around and they're laughing and they're playing and they're chaotic and they're screaming and they're prancing around in circles and they are really generally unbothered by what's happening around them or what people might think of them and and all that kind of thing until we you know start conditioning them conditioning them out of those states of being Um, when we say things like sit still don't say that Lower your voice. Um, you know that's weird, <laughs> and we we accidentally teach them how to fall within the lines of, you know, the dominant social construct and the dominant cultures. Um, because in a lot, a lot of ways, we believe that their survival and our survival depends on that. You know, we need to be socially accepted in order to survive and thrive. But yeah, stripping all of that back, it's just about life force being able to move through us and they are really naturally embodied. So that's why I say children have, have access to their eroticism because their, their sexual and sensual innocence is alive inside of their eros um, mm-hmm. that lives in their body.
0: Yes, so true. And, and free access to explore that as yeah. well. Mm, without, yeah. the, without the conditioning and without the, um, the social traumas that they take on as well as personal. We embody everyone else's social trauma um, and collective trauma too, I think, and it's like pre-trauma almost.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. Yep, you can look at it that way, absolutely. And I guess it's also part of why parents would seek to um, want to protect their kids because we are those really wide-open beacons and we are in innocence and we haven't had any of those, um, you know, if you're lucky enough not to have had any. Uh, abusive experiences in your early early life then you know people want to protect you from having those and part of that is unfortunately at times about shutting down your eros and shutting
0: down your erotic expression um yeah Mm, it's true it's like it it's like it's a bit of a lose lose it's if you've had nothing you want to protect your child but then if you've had a lot you also want to protect your child so can see how the generational trauma can kind of get passed down Mm -hmm. in some aspects as well but true there is a real freedom to kids and I love how they there's no uh there's no rules and there's no there's no audience in their head they're not Mm. wondering who's watching who's thinking who's uh, I I envy that a lot (laughs) yeah yeah Mm. so as we know um with trauma and as well on the body our body stores our trauma Van der Kolk says the body keeps score so um question that i've had is are we able to access our eroticism in our bodies without crossing paths with our body's trauma memories or is facing trauma part of the process of reclaiming your eroticism
1: yeah, look, I feel like it It really it depends on the individual, you know. It depends on how we, we all process trauma differently, as we know, and depending on what you made your experiences mean inside of your mind and your thoughts and beliefs and, and habits and attitudes and then what your body then made your experiences mean. I think there are some people who can really access um. Those states of arousal and eroticism without necessarily having to go back and do lots of trauma work and there are many 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 that that have to depending on what you've you've gone through in your life. I think beyond the trauma conversation, I think what we can all agree on and what is more universal than that potentially is that the world is not necessarily set up or safe um, for us all to be in our full sexual and erotic expression all the time like Mm -hmm. you're not completely supported to be embodied as you walk down the street or you're standing in the line at the supermarket um people might look at you and think that you're strange or people might question your behaviors or might question why are you wiggling like that or why do you keep breathing so deeply or why are you sighing or you know whatever Mm. i don't think the world is set up for us to be really unashamedly connected to our eros our life force our eroticism our playfulness our sensuality our full embodied self-expression our embodied confidence it's a really hard thing for us to um keep safe keep sacred and keep um at play you know to mm. embody our, our core truths and those ways of being so it is lifelong work in that regard because mm. we're not we're not necessarily high-fived for it you know your teachers in primary school or in mm-hmm. high school are going, oh good on you you know you you know that you need to stand up during this lesson and rock backwards and forwards because um you can see the board more easily and you understand mm-hmm. that you need to um be standing up to be able to listen to me right mm-hmm. so you imagine a 15 year old boy in the class and he's like oh I'm going to stand up and 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 rock my body so I can listen to you and they say sit down what are you doing? get out Mm. in that moment we are training disembodiment Mm. you know and so you can pick examples everywhere Mm. where this happens. so yeah I feel like there is significant work to be done trauma or no trauma to keep choosing your um to embody your core truths and embody Mm. your eroticism and your sexuality
0: so true and I think we um I think we also process things in the body too and it's like not being able to emotionally process or verbally process if your body can't process what it's experiencing physically yep. that's a massive part of yourself locked up I think too yeah what do you think we miss out on when we don't engage with with our body mm, I feel like you know disembodiment just perpetuates more disembodiment and
1: it's really <sighs> the seat of of many illnesses I think can kind of form when you're disconnected because when you don't know your sensations, you might not understand, oh, you know, you ate a food that twisted your guts up a little bit, but because you Mm. were so disconnected from that feeling, you aren't present to your health needs. From stuff Mm. like that to uh, I don't know the names of my genitals. um, I don't know how to express what my body needs are. Um, I don't know how to express my desires because I can't feel myself. I don't know how to express or know my boundaries other than intellectually, but what does a no feel like in the pit of my stomach? What does a yes feel like in my heart? Um, You know, can I vibrate my throat and calm down my, my nervous system? Um, There is so much that we miss out on in terms of that processing and in terms of, Mm, really moving through life, like on those edges that I spoke about before, I think Mm. embodiment and connection to that erotic self is needed to really be on the precipice for like a big expansive life that you might, that
0: you might want to um, experience. Mm, So True. I love what you said about consent too. I think if you don't have a, think of your body's in a state of disconnection or disassociation, you don't have consent from all of yourself. You only have consent from that small part of your cognitive function. So yeah. I wonder if anyone have experienced this in your work, I'm sure where clients have come in and they've thought they've had consent and they've given, but they actually haven't until they've realized after maybe with sex in particular, I didn't have consent with all of me. And now I I'm wondering what's happened. Absolutely. Yeah. It is a common thing. It's like, I thought that that
1: was okay, but I didn't even know how to check in with my body to really, Mm. really know. And um yeah, then it's like, what's wrong with me? Why did I let that happen to myself? Is there something, you know, am I something to be ashamed of? Um, how do I communicate then that I've had an issue? And sometimes it's with close partners or, you know, mm. friends or family members. And it can create a, a world of pain if we don't understand embodied consent. Yeah.
0: Mm, It does create a world of pain. It's so true. And I think it means that other people also might even call the shots for us. Uh, You talk actually about in your book about in which, you know, know, in some ways we tend to give responsibility of our pleasure and and also making those decisions about consent to others. Um, Actually, maybe could you say a little bit more about giving that to others?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I feel like pleasure, responsibility and consent maybe will separate those out a little bit this thing I speak about in terms of being responsible for your own pleasure is really um, something that I see a lot in couples <sighs> in particular. We, there's a very transactional element that can come through with our, our sexuality and, um, mm where it's like you give me an orgasm i'll give you one i'll do this to your body you do this to mine i expect you to know my body so well i expect you to turn me on i expect you to treat me in such a way that helps me feel safe and open all the time i expect i expect Mm -hmm. and really that's not pleasure responsibility it's like um understanding your own body gives you that is the biggest tool from which you can communicate from so saying something like i feel like interacting in this type of way today how does that feel for you or i know that my body's been a bit locked up i'm going to take responsibility and go get a massage so i don't always expect my you know husband to have massaged me before we opt Mm. into intimacy (laughs) um i know that i've been completely disconnected from my self-pleasure practice or i haven't masturbated in three months Mm. that to me is an issue and taking responsibility for your pleasure and your embodiment means like build a masturbation practice, build a self-pleasure practice, take care of your body like you expect your lover to take care of it. That is your responsibility. And then from that place, you're meeting somebody as a whole rather than I'm a fractured version of me and I expect you to, um, you know, mend the cracks.
0: So true. And I think it speaks of a bigger picture. Of I think actually you mentioned in the book as well about that idea of wanting not coming as a whole altogether and expecting someone else to be the one or, or the other half, or, you know, that probably plays into everything as well as sex too. Totally. So that's the,
1: I guess in that bit, I was talking more about these relational structures Mm. that we are, um, kind of forced into in some way because say monogamy for example is a dominant cultural um, expectation and I think definitely there there needs to be a bit more of a shake-up in that regard like when you know yourself so deeply and completely and you know your body and you are doing your personal development work and and looking to heal wounds and and patterns inside of your family systems for example you might actually arrive at the place where based on that work, you want to be in relationship with more than one person. Mm. And so this dominant narrative of the one or the fairy tale um, is a huge issue for us, you know, huge, because people just expect from themselves that if you don't fit into that, that you're broken, there's something wrong with you. You're doing Mm. the wrong thing. And it's just, again, another pocket where we can create shame. Um, So more permission to be in different types
0: of relationships, like... Oh, such yes. so joy to be formed there! <laughs> mm, so true. Permission. Um, actually, yeah. I think I've heard you say in an interview. Um, actually, you'll be able to phrase this better. Something about you—you'd love giving permission to people who are living, participating in scripts that aren't helpful, and bringing those into their lives. Can you say a bit about yeah. that?
1: Yeah. So, like, we all we opt into scripts every day, and and maybe I'll keep it to specific to our sex. Like, mm. um based on who you think you are, your identity, Mm. your static identity. I like these things. I don't like these things. I walk this way. I talk this way. I dress this way. This is my favorite color. This is what I do every morning when I wake up and I go get my coffee or whatever the heck you do. Um, this is like static identity building stuff. And what we want to, what we want to do is pull some of that apart and give the raw version of you as a human soul to, um, To live outside of that and to create outside of your scripted self and mm. from that place you can experience more variety you can give yourself yeah permission to experience different types of humans and you're always evolving from that place I think as soon as ever we make solid decisions about who we are then we've stopped mm. um mm. yeah we stopped evolving so this idea, yeah. does that absolutely? Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. And it also made me think too. It's like our identity, really, who our perceived identity um clouds are eroticism and clouds are experiences. And
1: absolutely, because mm. you go, oh my god, I want to be a shameless, like full mm. slut, <laughs> <laughs> like absolutely. Like, I'm like fully lay yeah. it all out and be ravished and like go for it. But you can mm. do that.
0: Mm. He's
1: not used to seeing you like that. You've never done that before. You're usually so meek and so passive and you usually don't, um, uh, what's the word, initiate. Mm. So that part of your identity that is usually doing that one thing cannot let herself or let themselves have the experience of being like a straight up flat <laughs> mode.
0: Absolutely. Hey. No, absolutely hey. not it's so true there's so much to lose if that's how you're going into it isn't it so much
1: to lose but if you go okay i'm not committed to being one version of me i'm committed to being Mm -hmm. in my authentic sexual expression moment to moment Well, there's freedom you emancipate yourself from the static identity that says you don't do certain things
0: Mm -hmm. and i think you might have even said as well in the book too you have to write rewrite a version of yourself and i'm paraphrasing rewrite a version of yourself that you might not even recognize it if you're writing who you really want to be and i think you said as well you know we need fantasy and eroticism we need to make it all up
1: yes yeah absolutely let ourselves dream create imagine um, from that place of innocence from that place where you know you you are allowed you're allowed just to, to create it is a childlike place actually i do talk about this childlike place that we we can mm. get back to inside of our um yeah that erotic embodiment and it's so much fun yeah just being allowed to really go for it and yeah I did say that you writing new stories it's a whole kind of pocket of the book about creating a new narrative about who you are and, and what you want and what you're headed towards and if you write that stuff down and you don't recognize anything on the page
0: then yeah you're you're on the right track <laughs> so true I think you said it you know it might even sound like you're talking about someone else in their life hmm
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I mean, you're, are. you're talking about someone else you're talking about the oh, person true. that you want to create and step into like a hologram you know yes um, put all the pieces in front of you is this holographic image of you and then step
0: into it and then embody it it's so oh. hot god it's, it's fun <laughs> it is fun too it's, I love that that's so well put it's so good actually I guess while we're on that too I that I did love the um there was a chapter on the four foundations of reacquainting yourself with your eroticism and body sexuality and i know that as you said there's a it's a whole other thing but maybe we could give a quick skim over those those four foundations do you have them in front of you i do <laughs> <laughs> and it, there was also another with five foundations so i could, might be putting you on the spot but i'm i'm looking at the moment the first one is um dissolving limited inherited outdated beliefs yes lightly touched yeah, on
1: yeah so I feel like we, yeah, we have touched on that. It really just is about going back through your past and, and really honouring where you've come from and what you've experienced and mm-hmm. doing the work required to let aspects of that go so you can really step into your your future you know it's mm. not a band-aid it's not about going oh well that that was the past and now I'm going to move forward and, and just like be sexier or feel more confident uh no it's about turning mm. to honor turning to face it um looking at the unsaid's that need to be said looking at the other bits of you know p- potentially tra- trauma healing that need to happen mm. and um Yeah, deciding like, oh, hold on, I have this belief about my sex and I didn't even realise I had it. For example, Mm. I don't deserve pleasure. That's Mm. like an underlying belief under lots of um, behaviours and habits that that some people have. And it's like, oh, my God, I didn't realise I was holding that belief. Cool, we need to find that. We need to go Mm. digging for that first so we can get to work on dismantling that belief and building a new one, which is pleasure is my divine right whatever it is for you but for example so yeah the belief stuff is huge um i believe that i'm i'm dirty or unworthy i believe that i won't i'm unlovable if i enjoy sex i'm unlovable Mm. you know and a lot of that is kind of parental stuff because we get fed this kind of purist narrative as we're growing up like be a good little girl you know stay not even stay quiet, but just be clean, be pretty, be nice, be good, all of that candy shit. Be easy. <laughs> yeah, all of that translates into, okay, if I do these things and behave this way, my parents will love me. If I don't, they won't. And so you arrive in adulthood, say you're a 35-year-old woman for this example and you're you know, in your relationship and you want to experience things that don't match up. to to those beliefs about being nice and meek and pretty and palatable. Um, Well, if I do these things, I'm unlovable. You know, I won't be loved. I won't be accepted. I might not be taken care of. And you had a belief that is building essentially your, um, you know, it's like a survival risk, inbuilt survival Hmm. risk if I go against the grain on these, then I might not survive. So yes,
0: the, that is step number one. And you can hear why, like there's a lot to yeah. it. Oh, that's <laughs> so true. Uh, yeah. I think you've that so well, Yeah, but it it's a little thing. And I wonder if for some people, if they haven't explored that, that might not be their only option. It, the risk is too great. It's like, I can't lose that. Mm. Yeah. But then unfortunately yeah. they pay the cost. They're the ones that spend their lives not being able to, enjoy pleasure and play and the life that that you love like exactly Mm -hmm. and and
1: some things need to change. Some things need to fall away. Some relationships need to die. Some people need to experience big shifts in order to live a life like Wild Honey. And some people just won't ever engage in this type of work because it's like, actually, I it's too hard. What if I do this work and then I don't actually want to be with my partner anymore? What if I do this work and I want to break up with my wife? What if I do this work and I want to move cities? What if I do this work and I hate going mm-hmm. to my job because I realized it was limp and lifeless and dull and I'm dying? Inside, and mm. I want to choose life. Like this work is asking me to choose fucking life. Mm. And and that comes at a cost, which is the redundant life, the dead mm. stuff, the dead wood. But we cling on to the dead wood because f- change is hard, um, and because fear. And I totally get that. I've literally had conversations with some women which are like, Tamika, I'm loving enjoying. Um, engaging in this, and I'm changing so much, and I just feel like I can't do anymore because I'm going to leave my husband behind. Like he's not, he can't keep up, and it's either I choose my relationship or I choose me, basically. And wow. so, off they pop.
0: Mm, and pick your pain, you know, is, is the thought that comes to my head too. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, not that it's pain. as easy as that, you know. I'm obviously, <laughs> it's obviously pain, not that yeah. easy. Pick your pain yeah. See I know, but um it's hard it's nice yes. i can see um, what oh sorry you go there you go i was
1: gonna say number two like the second one did you want me to do the second one
0: yeah i think second one here subscribing and surrender to the belief that pleasure is your birthright and you did touch on this earlier why do you think mm. so many people do struggle with that belief
1: yeah i think it's based in the kind of what i was just explaining around the the beliefs and and inherited kind of value systems that we have about sex and how taboo it really still is in our culture and it's shrouded in so much shame and um pleasure feels like this frivolous indulgent like bonus piece Mm -hmm. for life instead of like a an important foundation for living your best life Mm -hmm. so again I think it is the the cultural narrative where it's like well if you're too focused on that it's a bit it's a bit on your nose. Like, you have been bit, mm. you know, what's wrong with you? Why are you always talking about sex? Why do you always, you know, want mm. to be self pleasuring or why is pleasure so important? It, it really gets a bad rap.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's not taught to us, like, nowhere mm. in our education system or in our schooling or usually from parents. Like, if you're very lucky and you've had a parent or two parents that's that understand then you might have been taught but otherwise it's nowhere mm. um so it's we got to reacquaint ourselves with pleasure and how important it is and how it is our birthright we have these organs that mm. have all of these nerve endings that cause orgasmic sensation and that feel pleasurable and that release chemicals like dopamine and serotonin and, and oxytocins and um like that's all stunning stuff. So at mm. what point do we think it was a good idea to cut ourselves off from that? Like mm. that's ridiculous. Um, especially we know the role of things like dopamine and serotonin in the body and how important they are to our general well-being and our mental health, etc. Mm. So learning to self-regulate with pleasure and all of these incredible things. So yes, people do forget pleasure is our right? <laughs> and that is the second foundation that we really need to lean into to reclaim mm. our um, our sexual selves
0: so true and I think you're right as far as people who are really great at owning that do get a hard rap I know I know for some folks yeah. personally I get a bit of a hard rap and you know a phrase I hear a lot and I think I think this is BS but I'd love to hear your thoughts the idea that some people are highly sexual and other people aren't highly sexual like I'm I think it's potentially a myth but I'm not sure what do you think about that
1: yeah look I definitely feel like we're all on a sliding scale. I think when people use that as a cop-out, like you're highly sexual and and I don't have access to mine in that way because we are just different. I think that's a little bit, it is a little bit of a cop-out and it Mm -hmm. really like potentially if you kind of dug a little deeper with those people and found out um, their values around it based on their beliefs around it, they Mm -hmm. would likely, you know, want a bit more of what you have access to. And then from that wanting, they would be able to crank it up. Mm. But because it's, I think it gets covered over by some people more deeply than others. So I don't necessarily think that people are more sexual or less sexual. I think you either have more layers over on top of it, um, more willingness to like, to claim it and roll with it and enjoy it. And um, yeah, yeah more factors that might be blocking it (laughs)
0: yeah Yeah, that's so well put and now I would say that you're a leading voice in the future of sex erotic embodiment ethical non-monogamy what is it like Mm. to to be a leader Uh, we have touched on it a bit but
1: yeah it's a good question it feels um it's interesting to me I don't really forget to think of myself as a leader at times and then other times I fully fully embody that posture Mm. and and I don't feel different when I use that word Mm. actually like this is what I'm supposed to be doing it's like Mm. everything I've ever done in my life has culminated into this moment into this point where I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be this is always what I was supposed to teach Mm. this is always what I was supposed to lead Um, it's like in my it's crazy it's in my freaking astrology (laughs) Josie I'm never one like a big one on you know I'm a Capricorn Mm. I'm this and that but a couple of about I don't know maybe six or eight months ago somebody did my full reading and I read my full birth chart properly and I was shocked (laughs) shocked by some of the things like literally like you're here to lift taboos and work in subjects that other people, you know, might not touch, things like sexuality. Like oh, it wow. literally <laughs> said all this. And it was like you you won't be in conventional relationships. Um, mm. It was dumb. Anyway, anyway. Wow. I no, that, that is a wow because I struggle with <laughs> that stuff as well. So that, that's yeah. In- interesting. Yeah, I'm going to send it to you after this. Just a yeah. bit. You'll be like, oh, damn, that's... So, <laughs> So, yeah, it feels like what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't feel like Mm. any pressure necessarily. I'm pretty, like, trust the people that get around me and I trust that anyone who feels like opting into one of my spaces is 100% always supposed to be there. And I'm really, really interested in talking to people and working with people that are for me. There's a teacher for everyone. There's a leader for everyone. And Mm. um, I welcome, you know, the people that know that they enjoy my particular energy and my particular kind of um, frequency of this stuff Mm. and and it's a privilege like I love it I love it and I do know that this work of sexuality is a privileged chunk of the personal development work to do not everybody has access to this not everyone has Mm. the time or the financial means or the privilege and luxury of you know Mm. being um, uh, mentally well I mm. suppose like it takes yeah. like a fair bit of kind of a, a bit of mental capacity mm. to opt in. So um, it does feel like a privilege. Yeah.
0: Mm. And true, it does take a lot of work, a lot of work. And, and, and it feels like also like the culture. Yeah, yeah. Lots yeah. of work. And, um, and I feel like cultural safety sometimes feels like a privilege too, that in Australia we can do this and we can talk about this and explore this, but not necessarily yeah. everywhere. as you're saying,
1: that's yeah. right. Yeah, that was a that was um, another factor. I think, like at the start of Wild or Honey, I might have written about that a little bit. Just like, or I, how I open lots of my workshops and programs is like, we get to do this. Mm. We get to. There are women right now, twenty twenty one, all over the world, that would be murdered immediately if mm. anyone found out that they were opting into work around reinvigorating their pleasure, or being erotically embodied, or speaking their truth you know, um, we get to in such a way that our ancestors, you know, probably couldn't and our grandmothers didn't know how and our mothers, Mm. you know, wouldn't. And it's, it's huge. It's huge.
0: Yeah. It's it's a privilege. And it's also huge. It carries a lot of weight in some ways too. And, and what was the biggest learning in your experience of writing a book?
1: the biggest learning was like wow I understand why so many people start writing books and never finish them (laughs) (laughs) it's it's like a really gnarly process like this is a, a pretty punchy book it's a short read it's it's pretty easy to read but there's lots of fire in the words um but my learning around getting me getting out the way and just allowing parts of my story to come through me it didn't have to be about me anymore it was actually more about getting it into Mm -hmm. the hearts and minds of others and that took a little while in that process because I was like oh but I'm writing this about me and I'm writing this with things about my past and I'm writing this with me 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 and I'm like hold on once I sidestep that and it's like no I've lived this life like this is my truth I've done all these things and now they're going to help guide others." less about you, Tamika, more about getting it into the eyeballs. And then it made it mm. a bit easier. So that was a beautiful um, learning. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. Such a, such a big learning. But it's it's so true. And it, and it feels like that too. It feels like a it feels like a gift to everyone else. Because there's, yeah, as I guess was we saying before, not everyone has learnt this stuff or it's quite fresh for some people, I'm sure. And and I feel that yeah. like too. And it's invigorating, and particularly there's a bit of I would say poetry in here. Would you describe it as mm. that? Yeah, what's that like writing poetry and printing it? Uh,
1: yeah, it's, I don't know it's pretty vulnerable, but also mm. like it's how I've written for a long time. I used to rap and sing and be on mm. stages as a performer, and um, I don't know. It felt pretty natural for some pieces of my writing to come through in a poetic way, and then. Mm. I thought, I mean, the poem at the end, chapter seven, oh, the whole—bloody
0: <laughs> love that poem. <laughs> Read just for the poem; it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hot and fun. Mm. Um,
1: pay, chapter seven, page number one hundred and eleven. I didn't realize that until just now. That's so cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, a little bit of magic. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, no, I loved it. I loved it, and it was vulnerable and
1: yeah couldn't help it
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh it's brilliant and it's it feels so organic too it just feels like it feels like the words just fell out of you in perfect flow that's you know as you're reading it so oh yeah it's just so easy to read as well and it's a really enjoyable book so I feel so privileged to have you here today thank you so much for coming in for um telling us all about your experience
1: oh welcome thanks Josie yeah I um I would love anyone who's listening to this, please buy and read the book. Like, I feel like it's quite enjoyable. If you're interested in this topic, you'll get something from it. It doesn't matter mm. how you identify. It doesn't matter, you know, the structure of your relationships or yeah, your genitals. It's just like, it's for the
0: humans and um, mm. it would be an honour to have you read it. Absolutely. And where's the best place they can they can find this the best place is
1: debutbooks.com.au um, uh, or you can come to my instagram at the orgasmic mama and go into my link tree and there's a, a link there um, as well as connections to my other programs and um, workshops being connected on instagram is the best way to find out what i'm doing next um, yeah you, you'll be able to find the book in there
0: Absolutely. And also I find um, on Instagram too, I'm an avid follower and I find it's the easiest way to also engage with the content. Tamika has a lot of amazing Insta stories, which are effortless for Tamika but profound for others. So definitely recommend following at The Orgasmic Mower. Um, thank you so much, Tamika. Thanks, everyone, for listening to episode two. And I hope to speak to you again in the future. See you again soon. Thanks, team. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to A Different Page, spin-off series of the Words and Nerds podcast. This song belongs to the artists, humans on the floor. My name is Josie Layton, and you can find out more about me and this podcast at my Instagram page, Josie Layton. So that's J-O-S-I-E-L-A-Y-T-O-N. Thanks, guys.